All right, well, we are continuing this morning, working our way through the New Testament. I I can't believe we've been reading the Bible now for 48 weeks together. We started in the book of Genesis. We've read kind of straight through. And so we were reading um, these very personal letters this week that Paul wrote to several folks, and most of them were pastoral letters. Um, Most of them were pastoral, talking to to young guys like, like Timothy and Titus that Paul had poured into that they are now leading and ministering to the church. And so this morning, we are going to spend all of our time in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy. So let me give you a little backdrop of this. We are talking today about what I'm calling the power of leadership, the power of leadership. Now, if you're immediately in the room and you check out and you go, well, you know, I'm not like leading a company. Um, I don't have my own business. I'm not necessarily a manager at my job or, you know, Jake, I'm not the pastor of a church. You know, this is kind of more, you know, like high level leadership stuff. No, no, no. Friends, every single one of us has an area of influence. I almost thought about titling this the power of influence. But see, influence happens whether we're doing it on purpose or not. Leadership is about intentionality. It's recognizing that I do have influence. There are people's lives that I impact. People that I live with, that I am around, friends, neighbors, coworkers, kids in the room. You have influence. There are lives that you impact. And so leadership is about realizing that I do have areas of influence. And so what am I doing with that? Am I I leading on purpose? Am I influencing lives on purpose? And so this is everything that Paul is talking to Timothy about here. Paul has been a leader in Timothy's life. Timothy has turned around and been an intentional leader in the lives of others. And so Paul has invested a lot of time in Timothy's life. And now as we approach 2 Timothy, I want you all to understand a couple things. Paul is at the end of his life. And he's not, he's not just at the end of his life. Like sometimes we might be at the end of our life here on earth and we don't even realize it. Paul knows he's at the end of his life. He is nearing his final days. He is in prison in Rome. He wrote this letter in the mid to late 60s. Um, that's not 1960s. That's literally 0060s, all right, AD 60s. Um, he has dealt with being imprisoned and all kinds of stuff over the years, but man, he's in prison for the final time. He's most likely... Um, in prison, in Rome, in this tiny little cell awaiting his death. Um, Had the opportunity several years ago. In fact, those of you who are around in the spring of 2017, a lot of this might be familiar to you if you remember somebody's sermon from three and a half years ago, which I don't expect necessarily, but you might remember some of this along the way. But my wife and I, for our 15-year anniversary, got to travel to Italy Um, I love getting to travel. We don't get to do a lot of that with six kids in the house. Travel is not a big part of our lives. Um, But we got to go to Italy, and we spent a couple days in Rome. And so while we were there, um, I was able to visit this little place called the Mamertine Prison. And it's, it's believed that Paul was put there. It was the first maximum security prison in Rome. And it was the place where people would go who were awaiting execution. It was death row. 
And I got to go into this little, little prison, and this particular cell where they believed Paul was kept, not only were you in this interior space where there were no windows, but once you got inside, it was now another level below where there was basically just a big hole in the ground that you were lowered down through or just thrown into, and that was your cell down there. And so, so Paul is living out his last days, and I'm sure he's reflecting on his life and his legacy, but he's thinking about those that he loves. And Timothy is like a son to him. He has poured his life into this young man. And so he writes these words to Timothy in his final days. I mean, are y'all with me? This isn't just like a casual, friendly, like, Merry Christmas letter that you send out, okay? This is like Paul's last thoughts. And as he's pouring these thoughts out to this young man whom he loves, whom he is invested in, Paul has led this young man, and this young man is growing into being a leader. In the midst of a very personal level, a personal letter, excuse me, Paul purposes not just to write warm sentiment, but to give direction and focus to Timothy. He's saying, buddy, if I could leave you with anything, it's this. And he's talking about the power of leading as a follower of Jesus. Leading as one who is led, first and foremost. Timothy, you are a follower of Jesus. You allow yourself to be led by him. Now, as you are following Jesus, it is essential that you live with intentionality in the relationships where you have influence that you lead well for the cause of Christ and for the sake of those you love. Friends, if you don't hear anything else when we get into the details of this message, I hope you hear this. Jesus is our shepherd, our leader. Our lives are meant to be devoted to faithfully following him. And we are here for a reason. We have an opportunity to have influence in this life for the kingdom of God to love others well. And that's what leadership is about. And so Paul writes and he points out three key areas of leadership so that Timothy and those around him can experience the power of that leadership. So number one, number one, he tells Timothy, you need to tend your faith. Before you lead anyone else, you need to tend your faith. The second thing he talks to him about is that he needs to live a legacy live a legacy, not leave a legacy, live a legacy. And then the third thing he tells him to do is to lead in truth. Tend to your faith, live a legacy, lead in truth. Number one, here we go. This is Paul opening up his letter. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. Do you already hear the tone? He says, as my ancestors did. I mean, Paul is like thinking big picture right now. 
he's at the end of his life, and he's thinking back on the legacy of faith. I mean, this is like Hebrews chapter 11 stuff, you know? Abraham, Moses, David, and then he's thinking about even his own family line. And he's looking at his own life and saying, I'm able by the grace of God to say, I have a clear conscience. Not perfect. I haven't always gotten everything right, but, but I faithfully walk with Jesus. I see my place in the big picture of what God is doing across generations. And, and I look at my life whom I have served with a clear conscience, and Timothy, I remember you. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Remember, he's in a prison cell, kind of almost underground. I wonder how in touch he even was with when it was night, when it was day. Maybe whatever food got delivered was the only indication of what time it might be. And so he says, hey, whether it's day or night, I may not know, but I continue in prayer for you. I'm thinking about you, even in prison. Verse four, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. See, that's, that's real relationship. Where Paul is, Timothy's there. Timothy is in tears because he knows where Paul is. They're connected. No matter what they're going through, there's that sense of connection. Verse five. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Y'all remember that, your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and a, and a sound mind or self-control. I want you to hear all of this. So in verse 3 and in verse 5, Paul specifically highlights living with a clear conscience and having a sincere faith. He's establishing right at the beginning, Timothy, as a leader, before we have anything to do out there in the world, before we have any sense of influence, authority, power, before anybody is going to follow us, the, the primary thing, the first thing is, do I have a clear conscience before God? Am I living out a sincere faith? He's saying, Timothy, your character matters. Your relationship with Jesus matters. Our job is not to tell other people what they should be doing. It's to live out a sincere faith, walking with God, knowing him. And so he says this is essential. Your own personal faith is essential. Before I give you any instruction about leading other people, I see this sincere faith in you. Now keep it going. Fan it into flame. Step into the things that God has for you. He, he also very purposely is connecting um, godly heritage or legacy. Paul not only reflects on his ancestors, but he says, Timothy, you have a legacy. Not only have I poured into your life, but look at your grandmother's influence in your life. She walked with Jesus. Look at your mother and her walk with the Lord, and she poured into your life. And now here you are. Friends, Far too often in our American culture, we have turned faith into this 
this individual thing. Now, yes, God knows us personally and he loves us individually and we can have an individual personal relationship with God, absolutely. But friends, we were never meant to be apart or alone or just kind of floating out here as these independent followers of Jesus. We're meant to be anchored in community and we are a part of a generational story. Thousands of years now, people have been following Jesus. We are here as a result of other people who had a sincere faith and passed it on. In some ways, I hope that this church body gets tired of hearing me talk about discipleship and passing on our faith. I hope you get tired of it. My hope would be that this would be so normal to us, this idea that I'm walking out my faith in a real way and I'm anchored in community, that I am passing on what I've received, that I see myself as a part of something larger. In fact, I would almost dare to say that like, if you stick around long enough and you're not viewing your faith that way and you're walk, that you might get uncomfortable being here <laughs> because this is who we're called to be. That's what church is. Paul says, listen, Timothy, you are a part of something huge. Be aware of it. Live in that sense of awe and awareness that something precious has been handed down to you because other people held on to a sincere faith. They walked with Jesus in a real way and they passed it on. Your grandmother did that. Your mother did that. I've done that in your life. And now you fan that flame. You tend your relationship with God. Following Jesus is not about just making an intellectual decision and saying, I believe he exists and I've said yes to this like Jesus thing. A sincere faith is walking with God, holding on to him, trusting him, following him. And so he says, he says, Timothy, Fan this into flame. Look at verses six and seven again. He says, in light of all this, in light of your own faith, in light of this legacy that you are a part of, this heritage that you are a part of, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. And then he contrasts that. He contrasts that against fear. He says, fan this into flame because... God has not given us a spirit of fear. I I want you guys to hear this. Paul is saying that our faith needs oxygen. Right? Why do you fan a flame? Why do you blow on a flame? You give it some oxygen so it it ignites. It burns bright. It, It accomplishes its goal. The wood gets lit. The fire is roaring. There's light. There's warmth. But it needs that oxygen to get going. And Paul's saying, listen, you have this faith, it's burning, but buddy, you gotta keep fanning that into flame. You gotta give that thing oxygen. What smothers it? Fear. Fear. Now listen, I believe there's a lot of context where we should grab verse seven, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I believe any areas of life where we might be experiencing fear, anxiety, we should grab that. But Paul, in this context, is specifically talking about 
the fear or anxiety that would keep you from stepping in to leadership. The fear that would keep you from stepping into fulfilling your purpose to have influence in this world. Now, I could, I could go off on a tangent about all kinds of things we might be afraid of. Maybe I'm not ready. Maybe I don't know enough. Maybe, I, maybe there isn't anybody that will even follow me. Maybe we're minimizing or fearful that we don't even have influence. Who, who do I have influence over? Maybe we're afraid we, we, won't, we won't do it right. I'll make mistakes. I'll say something wrong. I'll let somebody down. Maybe we're afraid of what it's going to cost us. Maybe there's some people that they won't like it when I'm, I'm trying to have godly, loving influence in their life. I don't know what the list of fears might be, but Paul is aware that fear can keep us from stepping into the gifts God has given us to have an impact in this world as leaders. And so he says, he doesn't just say, don't be afraid. That's not what he says. He said, when, you, when that fear is creeping in, realize something, that's not from God. That is not the spirit God has given you. And so when you need to face down that fear to step into leadership, influence, here's what God actually has given you. He's given you power. Power, ability, strength, wisdom. Like he's given you what you need to do this. He's given you power. He's given you love. Boy, that's a pretty key component in leading well, right? There's like this perfect mix here. We need power, so, so I need some strength. I need some authority. I, I need to have what it takes to be a good leader, but I need love. Listen, there is plenty of leadership in this world that has power and no love for people. Leadership is about taking. It's about using. It's about getting something from others. Paul's, hey, I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying overcome your fear and become a bully. It's not what he's saying. God will give you the power you need to lead well. He'll give you the love you need because true Christian leadership is about serving others. And he'll give you a sound mind or self-control. Friends, our leaders need some self-control. I need some self-control. We're all prone to, to stumble and to struggle and to make mistakes. But man, you start stepping into to, to being intentional in your relationships to have kingdom impact. And you better believe the enemy is going to turn that dial way up. To take you out, to rip you off. The stories are far too familiar to us of fallen Christian leaders who've lacked self-control. But see, this is why Paul says it starts right here. Tend your faith. It's there. It's lit. It's a gift God has given you. Don't let fear hold you back and squash that flame. You were meant to have these gifts that God has given you, this influence God has given you. And so let him breathe new life into you and give you the power to do what he's called you to do. Give you the grace to love well and give you the ability to walk with a clear conscience. He gives you the gift of self-control to be faithful. 
All right? Now, a couple of keys that he gives Timothy to tend his faith. All right? If this is, if this is the goal, fear being dispelled, power, love, self-control, stepping up, being able to walk with a sincere faith, here's a couple of keys to this. The first one is found in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He tells him to maintain the posture of learning. You've already learned some stuff. Don't lose it. I've realized how much this has happened to me. Um, this weekend, I was laying tile in one of our kids' bathrooms. And I did that once 12 or 14 years ago, our very first house we bought. I lay, and I haven't done it since. And it showed the last couple of days. Probably an expert could have knocked this out in two or three hours, maybe half a day, I don't know. Two days in, I've still got to do some grouting tomorrow and put a toilet back in place on Tuesday. I've still got plenty of work in front of me. But I realized really quick, those things I learned 12 or 14 years ago, when I didn't use them for the last decade of my life, they're gone. <laughs> I have not retained that information. I'm back on YouTube trying to le relearn what are the right steps here. All right, and what we don't use, we lose, okay? And so what Paul is saying to Timothy is, you've been given this faith, don't just sit back and rest on it. Adopt the posture of a learner. You have learned, continue to learn. Endure in your learning, okay? Having the mentality of a learner, it requires two things. It requires humility, because it acknowledges, I don't have it all figured out boy, we could sure use some leaders who realize they still have things to learn. And that takes humility. And secondly, it requires endurance. But with humility and endurance, I can adopt the posture of a learner. I, I, I laugh, but there have been times where I've met people who've said, oh yeah, I read the Bible before. I read it once, I got that. Guys, we've been given a gift. And, and our lives were to adopt this posture saying, Lord, you have something to teach me. And so I want to learn. I want to learn about your word. I want to learn about who you are. And then as I'm growing and becoming this leader, you're shaping me to be. God, what are the gifts you've given me, the abilities you've given me? What are the areas of influence you're calling me to? God, I need to keep learning. How can I be a better leader, communicator? I, I've got kids and Man, when I was a kid, I, I didn't really get taught how to read my Bible and know Jesus. But I want my kids to have that. Well, I better start learning it, and then I can pass that on. And so I can have this sense of, of humility that says there, there's always room for me to grow and to learn. All right? Continue to learn. That's one way to tend your faith. Now, he continues, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? 
that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why do we continue to learn? Because we continue to grow. This isn't just about acquiring knowledge and information. It's about change. The reason God gives us his word is that we might receive instruction to grow in areas where we are weak. Things that are broken that need to change, they can change. Things that are in us that are good, but man, I can grow in that area. And so God gives us not just the right information that we need, God wants to bring transformation. He wants to change our lives. He wants us to grow so we might be what? Complete. God's word helps me grow and change. In fact, it makes me who I was always intended to be. Did y'all catch that? It makes me become the person I've always, he's always intended for me to be. He created and designed you uniquely. He's given you unique gifts, abilities, insights. He's made you the way you look physically. He's shaped you emotionally, mentally. Like You're his workmanship. And as we grow in Christ, we get to know him and we become who he's intended us to be. He wants to complete the work in us. Friends, many of us are waiting to be a leader till we arrive at a certain point. What Paul's making clear here is you never arrive at the certain point. You, you live a life of growth, positioning yourself to learn and allowing God to shape and mold your character because he's doing a work that he intends on finishing. You know, the little tile project I'm doing, it, it feels like a big deal to me. We invest a little money in it. It's taken several days of work. But then when I step back and look at my whole house, I realize, oh man, there's still a whole lot to be done. But it's our home and we live there the way it is right now. And we know it's in process and we'll always be working. That's what God's doing in us. He comes and makes his home in us. Friends, if, if, we're, gonna, if we're gonna have influence in this world that matters, the, the primary thing is tending our own faith. That journey never stops. So, stay on the journey of maintaining your sincere faith. And number two, we're moving to the next part of this. Don't let your place in that journey keep you from leading right here, right now. Since we never arrive, since we're always growing, Let's lead starting right now. And so the second thing that Paul talks to Timothy about is living a legacy. This is now chapter two, verses one through three. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Listen, even as Timothy is entering his prime as a leader, Paul is encouraging him to already start passing on what he's learned. 
Paul's saying, Timothy, you're like, you're like at your prime. You're leading this church. He's saying, don't wait till 20 or 30 years from now to then start thinking about passing this on to somebody else. Right now, while you are living out your current calling, while you are leading and influencing the people right here around you, right now, start passing it on. Give this away to other faithful men. And by the way, Paul didn't just tell Timothy to do this. Paul lived this. As Paul was in his quote-unquote prime, as he was going around ministering, planting churches, all along the way, he was pouring into other people. When he traveled, he always had a companion. He had Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, Titus, the list goes on and on. He always had people around him, and so as he was leading, as he was living the life God had called him to live, he was always consciously aware there's somebody right here that I'm investing in. I'm investing in them right here, right now. Um, one, one of the other things we experienced on our little trip to Italy, um, we, we visited a few museums, not usually my ideal place. <laughs> I'm not, not typically a guy who's like seeking out museums, but we saw some incredible artwork, some incredible paintings. And one of the things we saw that I was just captured by the story of this painting it was this painting of Jesus' baptism, all right? So you remember Jesus comes to John the Baptist at the start of his ministry and tells John the Baptist, like, you, you need to baptize me. And John the Baptist is fully aware, like, he's the Messiah, I'm not, right? He's even telling Jesus, like, you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. And Jesus says, no, this is what's supposed to happen. You baptize me. And so Leonardo da Vinci is still young in his career, and he works on this painting with his master. So the guy who had mentored him and taught him. Now, I'm going to try to say this name. <laughs> Andre Del Verrocchio. I feel like you got to have a good Italian accent to say that name right. Verrocchio. This guy and, and Leonardo da Vinci, they, they do this painting together. And so what happened is his mentor started the painting. And he worked on like the first half of it. And then he stepped back and he let da Vinci come in and start finishing the painting. He began to work on the rest of it. And like, that's a pretty good model of like, you know, leading somebody else, right? You kind of work side by side. You let them watch you for a little bit. Then they come in, they work on it a little bit. It's this neat story of like, that's discipleship in the art world. Okay, cool. So what's the significance of this? So we've got this kind of brilliant, awesome painting that da Vinci did. It's one of the first ones with like his name on it. Here's the tragedy. His mentor, when he saw the finished product, he realized how far beyond him his pupil already was. He was embarrassed about the parts of the painting he had done because it just was like so clear, da Vinci's mastery of the art. And instead of being in awe of his pupil, and celebrating that he had poured into that young artist, he felt shame and embarrassment about how he fell short and he never painted again. It was his last painting. It's heartbreaking. He didn't understand not only his beautiful gift, but that part of his gift was the ability to pass it on to someone else who would outlive him who would take that baton and carry it forward. 
Friends, our gift, our influence, it matters, but we're also a part of a larger story. And so we gotta live with this mindset of pouring into others. Now, the interesting thing is the very painting that he's doing is a painting of another leader passing the baton. It's of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, who is now stepping forward into ministry. And what begins to happen from that day forward is all these people who've been following John the Baptist, they start getting drawn to Jesus. And John the Baptist's disciples are recognizing in this, and they're sort of bothered by it, and they're like, hey, all these people are leaving us, and they're following him. What's going on? And John the Baptist says this about it. John chap- John's gospel, uh, the apostle John, writing about John the Baptist here. John the Baptist says in John's gospel, chapter 3, verses 27 through 30, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Friends, what I'm about to say, I believe is one of the key things to defeating the fear that would keep us from leading that we talked about. Fear has nothing to do with love. When fear creeps in, it's, it's in some place there's a breakdown in love. Either I don't realize how loved and accepted I am, that I don't need to be afraid, that I'm falling short, not measuring up because I am so well loved, or I'm supposed to be, I'm going to pick on Alex because I do that because he's my friend, he sits really close. Or I'm supposed to be, if I'm pouring into Alex's life, I'm supposed to be considering him, loving him, not worried about me. It's, it's a self-sacrificing thing. And so if I'm loving him well and pouring into his life, there's no threat to me. I'm just focused on loving him well. But if I get wrapped up in insecurity and not measuring up, it rips me off. And so where fear creeps in, I'm either not loving well or I'm not receiving love well. Are are y'all hearing this? John is recognizing this is all about love. The bridegroom is here. And he's here for his bride. And I know the groom. And so I'm celebrating with him. This isn't about me getting recognition. This is about Jesus getting glory and people knowing him. People being brought into relationship with him. And so, friends, we adopt the posture of John the Baptist. When we're investing in the lives of other people, we're pointing them to Jesus. He gets gets the credit, he gets the glory, but it removes the burden of me feeling like I have to live up to something or measure up to something. I'm not leading people to get a bunch of followers of Jake Spencer. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And so I can live life with a sense of purpose that I am able in whatever area of influence I have to point other people to Jesus. And man, 
when I, when I watch it happen, when I watch their flame get lit and grow, I watch them step into who God's made them to be. I can fall into the background because it's not about me getting glory for this person I impacted. They're shining bright for Jesus Christ. Do y'all, do y'all get this? Is this making sense to you guys? Friends, you matter dramatically. You matter big time in the kingdom of God. You matter to him personally, but guys, you have an area of influence and you get to experience the power and the love and the joy of stepping into that. And the the pressure is off, fear is removed because God loves you and he's placed you right where you are for a reason. And you don't have to worry about not measuring up or falling short because he's got it. And it's for his glory anyways. And so you just get to cooperate with him and watch other people fall in love with Jesus and watch them experience the joy that comes from growing in him. This is what leadership is about. And so here's Paul's view on this, 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Listen, he says, my gospel is just all about Jesus, so remember him. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What's Paul saying? He says, I endure the ups and downs of investing in other people. I endure it. It's cost me a lot. I've been rejected at times. I've been imprisoned at times. I have faced difficulty choosing to live life as a leader. It's hard. He's honest with Timothy about it. This is difficult. You think it was easy for John the Baptist to to slip back, to decrease so Jesus may increase, it's tough. Paul says, this has been a hard road, but I do this for the glory of God and for the sake of other people that I love. And so I walk this road because God's word and his purposes are timeless. Friends, we're all gonna invest our lives in something. We're all gonna put effort and energy towards something. And Paul's saying, putting your effort and your energy towards impacting the lives of other people for Jesus, it's worth it because there's eternal glory. Because you can be sure that what God intends to accomplish, he will accomplish. His word endures even through the roller coaster ride of my life and walk with him. He's faithful. And the salvation he brings is eternal. I want to wrap up this point here with just this, okay? I want you all to consider this. I believe that far too often we spend our time arranging our own individual lives. And then in our closing years, we suddenly start to think about legacy. We suddenly pause to reflect on the life that we've lived and think about legacy. Don't do that. We always, when I even hear the word legacy, I think of like towards the end of your life or even after you're gone. Don't wait to think about legacy. 
you have something to pass on right here, right now. Whatever age you are, whatever phase of life you're in, you have something to pass on. Live with that intentionality now. Choose to have an impact in people's lives for the kingdom of God. Live your legacy and you will discover at the end you have left behind a legacy because you purpose to live that way. Disciple making, being a leader, it's about finding your place in God's story and then stepping into that eternal legacy. That's what it's about. Guys, no one makes disciples on accident. You don't. You can have influence on accident because we all influence people. But we don't lead, we don't make disciples on accident. It happens with intentionality. Okay, last one. Point number three. Lead in truth. Lead in truth. We're going to tend to our own faith. We're going to choose to have an impact in the lives of others. The final thing is we've got to lead in truth. As Paul moves to the end of this letter, it all kind of culminates in the first part of chapter four. There's some closing thoughts at the end that are more personal, but like it culminates right here. Second Timothy chapter four, I just want to go through verses one through eight as we wrap up. He gets to the end of this letter and he says in chapter four, verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. He's talking about what he says with his mouth and he's talking about how he leads, the way, the way he influences. May your life preach the word. If you're gonna choose to have an influence in people's lives, may it be based in truth. Because when it's all said and done, that's what he's talking about, when it's all said and done, before God in heaven, when it's all said and done, here's what this is really about. Be rooted in truth. And so he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Listen, what he's saying is preach the word in any season. Now, that can be the season in your life. There might be times where you feel up for it and times you don't. But I believe he's talking about, like, the season is what's happening around us. Like, I don't affect the seasons. I just live through winter, spring, summer, autumn, repeat. We are going to find ourselves living in all kinds of different cultural moments and in all kinds of seasons in our own life, different people around us. There might be some people that have some influence in their life the next two or three years, and then it's a different group of people later. But he says, whatever is happening in the culture around you, whatever the consequences might be, whoever the current audience is, what is certain for you is preach the word. Be rooted in truth, come what may. If it's unpopular, if it causes you to be rejected or looked down upon, if people think you're foolish, hold on to the word. If you're in a hard season, if, if everything in you emotionally is saying, is this real? 
Like, is this Jesus, is he real? Because, man, it doesn't feel like it right now. My circumstances are difficult. Life is hard. I'm having a hard time seeing the faithfulness of God. In every season of life, hold on to truth and proclaim it. Take your stand on truth. Don't be swayed from it. Preach it and do it in any season and be patient about it. Hang in there. Endure. Be patient in your own heart and be patient with other people. He says, teach it with all patience. I'm not going to read this right now, but I would encourage you, go look in this same letter, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 26. He, he lays out in more detail how to be patient with people that you're teaching. And he tells them all kinds of stuff. There's going to be people with foolish ideas and arguing about nonsense and people coming along saying things that are totally counter to Scripture. And Paul makes it clear, whatever circumstances you're in, be patient with people, even those who oppose you, but speak truth. Do it patiently, do it in love, but don't compromise. Don't compromise. Don't tell yourself you're being a good leader by soft-pedaling the gospel. Speak truth in love. Verse 3, why is he so adamant about preaching truth? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Preach the truth because gravity is what Paul's saying. Gravity, it's inevitable. Things go down. It takes effort to fight gravity. And so truth can set me free. I can accept Jesus. I can hear that truth. And man, life comes and it gets hard. I mean, what do you think Jesus is talking about when he tells the parable of the sower and there's all these different types of ground the seed can hit? It's, it's very, very little of the ground is good soil that actually it takes root and it's strong and it grows. And so he says, people are prone to wander off. Gravity happens. People have a hard time enduring. So keep at it. Speak the truth. Don't compromise because people need to be told truth in the midst of a world that is filled with lies. And sadly, within the four walls of the church of Jesus, there is much that is simply not true. It's either not true because things are left out or it's not true because things are added in. But either way, for the areas we are accountable, the people that we are influencing, let's hold on to truth and let's communicate it clearly because people need to hear it over and over and over again because the lie tries to win. And then finally, he says this. He kind of wraps it up with this. Verse five. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Why should we all preach truth? Because we all have a unique area of influence. We all have different areas of influence, unique areas of influence, what if you're the only truth teller and some specific person in your life? I don't mean hitting them over the head with the Bible and being the angry Christian that makes them run off. I mean lovingly. 
out of sincere faith, you have an opportunity to speak truth. Fulfill your ministry. It might be hard, but fulfill your ministry. And then Paul says this about himself, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Remember where he is. And my time of departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Hold on. Be faithful. Tend to your faith. Live a legacy. And lead in truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that that we could learn from Paul this morning. God, that we could learn from Timothy this morning. That Jesus, ultimately, we could learn from you. God, that you call us to be leaders. You call us to be led by you. God, to tend our faith, to learn, to grow, to have humility. God, to fan into flame what you've given us. God, you've you've called us to do that, to tend our faith first. God, you've called us to have an influence in this world. You've given us children, spouses, friends, neighbors, co-workers. God, the list goes on and on. You've given us areas of influence. May we live a life of legacy. May we not just watch the years spin by and then later at the end of our life question, did, did I do what I should have been doing? God, we get to invest in eternity when we cooperate with you and we pour into the lives of other people. And so may we purpose to make disciples. Jesus, may we be rooted and grounded in you, which is to be rooted and grounded in truth. May we not be ashamed of truth. May we not wander off from it or get distracted. God, may we not even start to buy into lies from the culture around us. You are the only one with the words of life. May we hold on to them as precious truths. Jesus, we need you. We look to you. We thank you that you are our leader. May we tend well the areas of influence you have given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.